Luke chapter number 2, we're going to read a very familiar passage in the Bible, and then we're going to be going through certain passages this morning as we bring a particular subject to our congregation. Luke chapter number 2. The Bible says in Luke chapter number 2, in verse number 8, it says... Now this was the very night that Christ was born, the very night that Jesus was brought into this earth uh, through the virgin birth. The Virgin Mary has taken a trip uh, to Bethlehem, the city of David, with her espoused husband. Uh, They come to the city. There's no room for them in the inn. They're in a stable because that was the only place for them to have this baby at that time. So they went into this stable. They have have a son, and they begin to uh, obviously clean the child and, and wrap the child to make sure that he doesn't get too cold. And the Bible says at that time in verse 8, And there were in the the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. These are angelic beings praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Goodwill toward men. And this morning we're going to be preaching a a sermon entitled Things to Behold. The Bible says this word behold. They brought good tidings of great joy in verse number 10. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold. There are certain things that we need to behold this morning, and we're going to be preaching that sermon to you this morning. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Our Father, we come into your presence this morning, and Lord, we're so humbled to be able to preach your word. I thank you, Lord, for this congregation and those who've gathered out this way. Lord, as we behold these truths from the Scripture, I pray, Lord, that you would help me as I preach. And I also pray that you'd bless the heart of the hearer. There could be someone here today, Lord, who's never heard this message or received the message of truth. And I pray that today would be the day of salvation for those who are unsaved. And Lord, I also pray for we as Christians that we would give a fresh look to you and these things that took place in your lifetime that our hearts would be touched as well. We pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, in our house, I don't know how it is in your house, but I have a wife who likes to decorate. We have uh, far too many trees, in my opinion, but our trees are wonderfully decorated. You know, all the seasons in my house are decorated for. My wife actually likes four season. You know, summer, winter, spring, and fall. I understand here in Texas there are only two seasons. But uh, we come from places that have four seasons, and personally, uh, when I first became married, I, I did not value all the decorations. But as I got along in life and started thinking about the beauty and the things that uh, my life has brought to me, one of the things I most enjoy are 
are the decorations of the season. You know, sometimes in our house, uh, there are lights left on into the evening. Those lights remind me of something. A few weeks ago, my wife and I were in Cincinnati, Ohio, and there they have a place called the Creation Museum. And at this time of the year, they put lights around the trees. And as you're driving to the Creation Museum, several houses in that area in the evening time have decorated their homes in such a way as to where you just cannot miss them. There are beautiful lights that their home is decorated with. Perhaps your neighborhood is the same. I was actually on my way back from the airport and recognized that somebody here in Dallas, some place off 820 as I was on my way home from DFW, they had a place that was so lit up that it drew my attention on the way home. There was a bunch of trees. wasn't too much light. All of the lights were silver that I saw. It was just like silver lights and it drew my attention to it and it's, it's beautiful. The decorations are beautiful. Around this time of the year, perhaps you, uh, like me, your family has celebrated Christmas. You know, when we grew up, uh, our parents didn't make a big deal about Santa Claus or anything like that. They talked to us about Jesus Christ. Jesus was the reason for the season. You know, Jesus come together and, uh, and my dad made it very clear to us as we were opening up gifts that he was the one that purchased them or somebody else gave them to him. He wanted us to know who gave us those gifts. It was a sacrifice on somebody's part. And he always wanted us also to know that giving gifts was something God did to men. God gave gifts to mankind. You know, as we give gifts to each other this Christmas time, I, I hope and pray that when you buy a gift for your loved one, you, like me, will think about what that loved one has brought to your life. You know, I think when you, especially like when you're buying a gift for your wife, you're trying to express your love for your wife or your love for your children. You know, I think one of the greatest things that you can do around the Christmas time is give gifts, but also articulate your love to someone else. There are many ways to articulate your love. You can articulate through your words and your speech. You ever come to somebody and they didn't have to say a word at all. They could just see that you loved them from how your eyes looked when you looked in their eyes, when they were going through a time of deep pain or struggle. I think as we go through the Bible there, you know, this word behold, it basically means to stop and to look and to consider. There's many people in this life, they're very ignorant towards the, the scriptural principles of the birth of Jesus Christ. They don't understand that Jesus was born of a virgin, and they don't even understand the significance of that. Have you ever considered and beheld the baby that was born in Bethlehem at this time? This is something to behold. Who was this Jesus, and why did he come to the earth? Why is it that 2,000 years later, preachers like me, all around the country, right around this hour, are still preaching about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because his birth, his birth changed this world. His life changed this world. His name, his very name changed this world. Do you know that it was the angel Gabriel who told Mary what this man's, this young, this little baby's name would be? Prior to his conception, he was named Jesus. And it was a secret. I believe in the Old Testament there was a, an angel that had appeared to someone. It was, a, it was a, a Samson's father. And he asked what his name was. And he said, why do you ask my name, that which is a secret? You know, I believe there were some Old Testament appearances of Jesus Christ. But this is when Jesus 
became a man. In Bethlehem, Jesus became what he had not been yet previously been. He became a man. He was robed in human flesh. So there were some things to behold. Here the Bible speaks of the shepherds in verse number 8. It was them who the angels had appeared to. They were abiding in the, in the field and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the Bible speaks of these angels appearing to them. First, the Bible says in verse 9 that the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. It was almost as if the sunlight had shone upon them. And I believe originally there was one angel that appeared in the sky and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. You're talking about the glory of God in the highest and it lit their field up and it was a sight to see. The Bible says in verse number 10, and the angel said unto them, fear not. Why did he say fear not? Because the Bible says when they saw this light in verse 9, they were sore afraid. And they said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And they said this, something to behold, there was a Savior that was born in Bethlehem. Behold the Savior. The, the, the announcement of the Savior was good tidings, the Bible says, uh, from these angels. It was good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. It's not just to white people. It's not just to black people. It's not just to people who were born in the United States of America. It's not just to Jewish people. It's not just to, it's not just to, to Gentiles. It's to all people. You know, when we preach the gospel, we tell people that everyone needs to be saved, no matter what your ethnic background is. And this is good news. It's good news that Christ was born to the world. It was a something to behold. This was a cold and dark world. At this time, the world had wicked leadership. Their leaders were so wicked at this time that if you read on in, in Luke chapter number 2 and in Matthew chapter number 2, there was a wicked leader named Herod who would dare to send his armies through the coasts of all Israel, killing children from two years old and younger. That's the time period where Jesus was born. But it was good news and it was good tidings to all people that Christ was born. He was born to such a dark world that they didn't even have room for Mary and Joseph to go and side of a, a place, a common place to say, to stay. The innkeeper said, go on out there and, and use the barn. What a cold world. You know, imagine somebody knocking on your, your door at nighttime and mama was about to deliver a baby. We need help, sir. Well, we got a garage. We got a garage you guys can go out and use. We're not going to provide any heat. We're not going to provide any su supplies. Just, just go on out there in the barn with the animals. You ever owned a barn? You ever gone out, gone out to the barn? And, and, you know, I can only imagine how that Mary and Joseph, they came into that place. This was not what they had anticipated. It was not what they had expected. Something else to behold, the Bible says in Matthew chapter number 1, if you flip your Bible back there, the Bible speaks of this, and we've spoken about it in weeks past, how Joseph was minded to put Mary away secretly. He thought Mary had been unfaithful to him. He knew that he and Mary had never been together morally. They had never come together as a married couple. The Bible says when they were espoused to be married, before they came together, Mary was a virgin. Jesus had no earthly father. How'd you get here? A man and a woman came together. You say, I don't know who my father is. Some people might have that unfortunate 
thing come into their lives. And we've met many in this, in this culture, in our country, where they've never met their father and didn't know who their father was. Just this week I saw a news story on a black gospel singer whose mother had been lying to him for years saying that a certain person was his father and he learned in his, I think he's in his 50s, that his dad was actually another man. Did not know who his dad was till he was 50 years old. Many people are, are underprivileged in such a way. It's unfortunate that this would ever happen, but Jesus knew who his father was. He had no earthly father. It was the Holy Spirit that came upon Mary and put this holy seed inside of her belly. And it was, uh, the Bible says, that holy thing that will be born of, of her would be known as the Son of God. Jesus Christ was God's Son. His blood was required for the salvation of sinners. As we behold the parents of Jesus, we recognized in the weeks leading up to this that Joseph had initially thought that Mary was unfaithful to him, and that's why she was expecting a baby. And we learned how that an angel came and was talking to him, and he said, Fear not, Joseph. He said, This this has taken place because of what the Bible said in the Old Testament, a prophecy that was written about Jesus Christ hundreds of years before he was born, as the angel was talking. Talking to Joseph, he used the word, Behold, in verse 23 of Matthew 1. Behold, a virgin shall bear, shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. Behold the parents of Jesus. A righteous people they were. As you behold, you know, it was 1,275 times that the word behold was used in the Bible. 218 times the word behold is used in the book, in, in the New Testament. I just want to encourage those of you who are in church today, each one of you has a pew Bible that's, uh, that's sitting there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, it's good to open up the Bible. But I want to encourage you, don't just open up your Bible when you come to church. Open up your Bible when you go home. There's a lot of things to behold in this book, and I can only cover so much in 30 to 45 minutes. Amen? You just heard that scratch, my beard is growing. No, I'm just kidding. The Bible is the Word of God. The Bible says that man shall not live by bread alone. I was thinking about this whole word behold. Like if I just did a study on everything the Bible says for me to behold, it would take, it would take months to go through all the things that the Bible says to behold, to look at. I want to tell you this book is an inexhaustible book. Never has been a book that was written that was so, so wonderful and so pure and that could change your life. This book can make you a better father and a better mother. This book can make you a better child. It, it, it pronounces blessings on the life of people. No one's ever come to this book and gone away and not been able to say that they didn't learn something or didn't have to ponder something. This book is a holy book, and I want you to live your life by this book. This book is a beautiful book. It's an inexhaustible book. It was written over a 1,600-year period by 40 different authors. All you kids carrying around cell phones and you're mesmerized by all these TikTok videos, what you need to do is put your phone down and get into your Bible because this Bible has, uh, has unfolded the mysteries of God. It's a beautiful book. There are certain things in life that you're not going to learn by watching your phone. You have to read the Bible for yourselves. And one of the satanic things that has happened in this particular culture is our culture has become ignorant and people have stopped reading books. The main book you need to read is this Bible. It should be a daily part of your life. Behold the parents of Jesus. 
an obedient surrogate father. He wasn't the father of Jesus, but he was the surrogate father of Jesus. People supposed that he was the son of Joseph, but he certainly was not the, the son of the, he, Jesus was not the son of Joseph. He was his surrogate father. The Bible speaks of that. You know, behold, when you come to the, to the manger scene and you see these shepherds coming over, they see the, the supposed earthly father, but he wasn't the earthly father of Jesus. It was God the father. It was, he was the son of God. But behold his mother. You know, the angel came to Mary in Luke chapter number one, and he told Mary that you're going to bear a son. And she started questioning the angel as to how this would be because she'd not been with her husband yet. And it was explained to her by the angel how things were going to take place. But as these shepherds came to, to this place in Bethlehem, this manger scene, if you will, I believe that the Bible declares that Mary was a rejoicing mother. She was a young woman. The Bible said that she was a virgin at the time when the angel came to her. She was a pure woman. They were righteous people. You know, one of the things they did in the book of Luke is they, as they after they had the baby, one of the things that they did in Luke chapter 2, if you would turn your Bible to Luke chapter number 2, the Bible says in verse number 21 that they were obedient people, that they were operating according to the, the, the edicts of the law, if you will. Luke chapter number 2 and verse number 21. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of this child of the child his name was called Jesus which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb they brought Jesus to the temple you know why because in the old testament it said that this was what they were supposed to do with male babies and this is what they did in the Jewish culture these this was a religious people they were a people that were looking to God for the coming of the Messiah beholding the parents of Jesus the obedient surrogate father who took the woman to himself even though initially he had thought she had been unfaithful a rejoicing mother who rejoiced in God notice in Luke chapter number one if you're in Luke 2 flip back one or two pages to Luke chapter number one the Bible says this when Mary was told that she was going to bear a son she began to rejoice last week we covered you're not supposed to pray to Mary Mary isn't somebody who's a mediator to you Mary didn't die on the cross Mary was a human being Mary is not eternal if you will not like Jesus Christ. She wasn't God come in the flesh. She was a human woman. And in Luke chapter number 1 and verse number 46, Mary says this, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. When those shepherds came, when she delivered forth this son, you saw an obedient surrogate father. You saw a rejoicing earthly mother, rejoicing in God. In Luke chapter number 2, after these, after these uh, shepherds had come, you know what took place when the angel came first that one angel said a savior's born in the city of david well then a multitude of the heavenly host came along with that angel imagine you sitting there you get you get one angel in the sky you got a big light coming and the angel tells you unto you is born this day in the city of david a savior which is christ the lord and immediately a multitude of the heavenly host starts singing glory to god in the highest First of all, what's going on in heaven? Glory to God. That's what you're here to worship today, amen? Glory to God. We should worship the Lord. The Bible says that now God's given Jesus a name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus is Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We come to the Lord's house to worship today. But when Mary saw these shepherds come, and the shepherds were no doubt whispering at the, at the opening of the stable where they were. The Bible says in Luke chapter number 2 and verse 19, Behold Mary, 
a pondering mother. Mary pondered all these things that happened in this time in verse number 19. By the way, if Mary was sinless and if Mary was all-knowing, she wouldn't need to ponder anything. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? God knows everything that we're even going to think before we think it. Mary had to ponder this. She didn't understand what was taking place. She had this baby, and no doubt she'd just gone through this difficult delivery, experienced pain that she'd never experienced before, and now she has this baby, and now you got shepherds appearing in the opening of the, uh, of the stable, and they're whispering, and they're talking, and the Bible says they noise things about after this took place, but the Bible says in verse 19 that Mary pondered all these things in her heart. She no doubt was pondering the birth in a barn, laying the child in a manger, the coming of the shepherds, the angelic appearance that she had heard months before. She was pondering all these things, wondering, have you ever beheld him? Have you ever beheld the Christ child, the true reason for Christmas, this beautiful little baby coming to the earth? Have you ever gone to the, the manger scene? I've had five children in my life, not, not personally, obviously, I'm a man, men can't have babies. I know this is somewhat controversial these days, but it's true. Men and women are different. God designed us to be different. But I was there, and I was able to hold my newborn babies. Some of my children had to be set in front of a window and because they were a bit jaundiced and their bilirubin levels were up. But every one of my children, after they were cleaned up, when I held that baby, there was a particular smell to them. It was such a pure smell. It was something that changed my life when I held my children for the first time. Having a child will change your life. When you recognize that something has become into this world and you've got to take care of that child, there's a huge responsibility that comes over a father when he holds his newborn baby. And I remember as I held my firstborn son, Jonathan, and as I hold my, my secondborn, Rebecca, and, and on and on they go, there was a smell to that child. There was a, an innocence to the child. There was... It was a great gift, and in some cases, my heart was so overwhelmed because God had answered a particular prayer that I had prayed for. And just the feeling of the child and the flesh of the child brought glory to my soul. Have you ever gone to the manger and thought about the fact that God gave you that child? The Bible says that these shepherds of the lowest estate in Israel, shepherds weren't regarded as doctors or lawyers, or they weren't advanced citizens, but the, the angels came and said, and unto, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This baby was a gift. He was a gift to all the world. As you think about things to behold, we ought to behold certain things were said in the scripture about John the Baptist. We covered that the first time we were preaching several weeks ago about, you know, the, the, two, the two sets of parents that God began to work with when he was giving us the gift of Jesus Christ, starting with Zacharias and Elizabeth. Behold the messenger, John the Baptist. You know when John the Baptist came on the scene in John chapter number one, if you want to flip your Bible there to John chapter number one, he had something to say about this whole thing about what you should stop and think about when John the Baptist was preaching it was some 30 years later about 30 years after Jesus and John the Baptist was born John the Baptist was born six months in front of Jesus Christ 
And when he started his ministry, he started at about the same time period before Jesus came on the scene. John started preaching. And he came on the scene preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, that men and women would have a Messiah, that there would be someone else who would come to be the Christ. The word Christ means anointed one. When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming up as he was preaching to those people, he had already been preaching for several months. And when Jesus came on the scene at the age of 30, in John chapter number 1 and verse number 29, he said this about the Lord, and he said this about what you should behold. John 1 and 29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And many people in our culture today have no problem with putting a manger scene out in front of the church. They have no problem with believing that there was a Christ and a Christ child who was possibly laid in a manger. And they love coming to see him when he's just a baby. But I want to tell you something. Jesus wasn't born just to remain a baby. He was born to die on Calvary's tree. He was born to be a lamb. He was born to be a sacrifice. And when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb. Verse number 36 of the same chapter. He wanted to make it clear to those listening to him and looking upon Jesus as he walked. He saith, Behold the Lamb of God. Have you ever beheld the Lamb of God? Have you ever beheld him? You know, coming to Christ when you come to the manger scene is much more palatable than beholding the Lamb. You know, Jesus was the Lamb of God. But the sacrifice wasn't made when he first came on the scene. The sacrifice that Jesus made as the Lamb of God was made after he proved himself to everyone to be exactly who he is. And I want to encourage you today, maybe you've never beheld the Lamb. You've beheld the Christ child, you've gone to the manger scene and said, yes, I believe that Jesus came to the earth, he was a gift to the earth, but what for? Why was Jesus given? There's a lot of beholds in the Bible, but I want to point out a couple today. Have you ever beheld the Lamb of God? You're here in the book of John. If you flip over to John chapter number 19. In John chapter number 19, there's several beholds that we can look at. First of all, just before John chapter 19, Jesus was being examined by a man named Pilate. He was in charge of this whole thing where Jesus was falsely accused. They rose up false witnesses against Jesus, and the Bible said Jesus was like a lamb to the slaughter, and he kept his mouth shut during these accusations. Isn't it amazing that religious people set up people to accuse falsely our Savior? It was those who tithed of mint and anise and cumin, or cumin, however you want to pronounce the word. They tithed on things, and they, were, they went to church every week, if you will, and they wore the long robes, and they, they acted right, but in their hearts they were so wicked and evil to where they would falsely accuse Jesus so that they might put him to death. But there were some things that were written about this, about the Lamb of God. When John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb, he was saying that this is our sacrifice, this is our substitute. Jesus, at the end of his life, was brought before this man, Pilate, and he was, he was questioned by Pilate, and finally Pilate gave in to the will of the people. And the Bible says in John chapter 19, This is the Lamb. This is why Jesus came to the earth. John 19 and 1. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. He allowed Jesus to be scourged with a cat of nine tails. If you don't know what this word scourging is, it's a whipping. It's where they would take your shirt off. 
and they would hold your, your arms above your head and tie your, your arms over a pole to, uh, that was over top of you and they would tie you and they would wrap this whip. The Bible talks about the scourging that took place in Roman times. They would take what they call a cat of nine tails. There were nine tails on a whip and they would throw it into the back of somebody who was a lawbreaker and he allowed Jesus to be scourged. They whipped him. They say that that whip would wrap around someone. It wouldn't just hit their back. It would actually rip their front open. And as they whipped him, they scourged him. Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Notice, behold the crowns in verse 2. The crown of thorns. And the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. Have you ever been pricked with a thorn? Have you ever been stuck with a splinter? <laughs> and everywhere you went, you could feel it? I remember when I bought a property in Missouri, I had bought a property with six acres, and I was running, walking to that property, and I was walking without paying attention, and I nearly poked my eye out with a, a hedge bush or a thorn tree. Those thorns were the size of a 16-penny nail. Those are the kind of thorns that they used for our Savior. They, 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 they would take something from that thorn tree and they made a crown of thorns because you know Jesus was called a king and they took that thorn, those thorns and they drove it into his head. That was the crown that my Savior wore. Have you ever beheld the Lamb? The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The Bible says the soldiers in verse number 2, that they put on him a purple robe, and they began to mock the Lord, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him with their hands, whether it was with their fists at this time, or smiting him with their hands. They were slapping the Lord. They beat him. He'd been scourged. He'd been beaten. He had the crown of thorns upon his head. And when Pilate brought him out, he said these words, Behold! In verse number 4, I bring him forth to you that, you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him at all, in him. And the Bible says in verse number 5, Then Jesus came forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said unto them, Behold the man! If John the Baptist was there, he would have said, Behold the Lamb. But Pilate said, Behold the man. This is the man. The crown, the blood, the battered man. Behold the man. Pilate found no fault in him. I want to say this along with Pilate. I find no fault in Jesus. He wasn't suffering for his own sins. He was suffering for mine. He was suffering for yours. The Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. That's why Jesus had the crown of thorns on his head. Because you are, you are a sinner. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus was paying for the sins of mankind. That's what, he was, that's what he was sent to the earth for. He was the Lamb, the Lamb of God. He said, Behold the Lamb, or behold the man, the beaten body, the bloody man, the faultless man, the mocked and scourged man. Later in John chapter 19 and verse number 14, the Bible says in verse 14, And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. Jesus at this time, they had been crying out to crucify the Lord Jesus. Behold your king. I want to ask you a question. Is he your lamb? Is he your king? There was a song that was written about this years ago. I remember as I was journeying with the Lord, I, I happened upon a church in Kentucky. And I was taken to a preacher's meeting there. And oh, how my life has been blessed by preachers from Kentucky. 
a preacher from Kentucky came to Michigan and preached to me. And I got saved by the grace of God. I thank God for the preaching of the cross. And whether you're from Kentucky or Michigan or Texas or anywhere on this planet, I thank, the God for, I thank our God Almighty for the preaching of the cross. And I was in this church in Kentucky, and a, 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 a husband and wife group came up to the pulpit with a guitar, and they sang a, a song called The King's Apparel, and I'd never heard it before. And she began to sing, and she said, The crown that my king wore was made of thorns. His jewels were bright rubies of red. His royal apparel designed with a scourge, making bright crimson stripes on his holy train. I want to say this. Behold the, the man. Behold your king. This is the apparel of your king. His jewelry was nails in his hands and his feet. No throne he hung on a sinful tree. His royal carpet was blood in the sand. Crucified Jesus was the sinner's demand. His life for the sinner he willingly gave. And they lay my Savior in a cold, dark cave. But Jesus was righteous, was never death's slave. My almighty King conquered death in the grave. And the chorus of this song said, And oh, he wore it so well. My King's apparel. He wore it so well. You ever seen Jesus? If you've never seen Christ bearing your sins on Calvary, shedding his blood for you, you need to see him like that. There's not a sin that you've ever committed that Christ isn't willing to forgive you for. And I'm here to tell you, friend, there is a heaven and there is a hell. There is a life and there is a death. And you need to figure out during this life if you're going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Those that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and receive his free gift of salvation will be taken to heaven when they die. But if you reject the message of the Savior and you ignore the message of the Savior, the Bible says that when you die, you'll be going to a place called the Great White Throne. And your name's not going to be written in that book of life. In eternity you will spend in the lake of fire, which burneth with fire and brimstone. I am here to tell you that there is good news. Jesus died for you, and he's willing to forgive you of every sin that you've ever committed. And I ask you this morning, have you ever beheld your king? I want to tell you something about this king. He wasn't like any royalty you've ever met. He was a friend of lowly sinners. He was a friend of shepherds. He was a friend of doctors and lawyers. He was a friend of tax collectors. He was a friend of religious people. He was a friend of drunkards. He was, he was a friend of people who they called wine-bibbers and, and, and people who were gluttonous. He was a friend to every single man and woman and little child on this planet, and he's a friend to you. Have you ever beheld your king? I want to say this as we close today. Behold your king. In John chapter 19 and verse 26, a very painful scene unfolds before us. Jesus has now been crucified. He's hung upon a tree in front of his own mother. Notice what Jesus says to his mother. Oh, how painful this is. John chapter 19 and verse 26. Can you imagine a son saying like this to his, something like this to his mother? I'm not a baby anymore, Mom. We're not in Bethlehem anymore. We're not in Egypt hiding out from Herod anymore. He said, Mom, this is why I came. This was my purpose. 
He said this to his precious mother who was beholding him as he died on Calvary's cross. John chapter 19 and verse 26. He said at the end of the verse, woman, behold thy son. He cried this from Calvary's tree. He's hanging, he's dying on the tree. And he said, behold thy son. It wouldn't be the first time she beheld him, but it was the first time she beheld him like this. No doubt Mary was thinking, is this why he came? Is this what God had in store? She didn't understand it when she had God's son, that it would end like this in such pain. That there was glory to come. But Jesus at this time was taking away the sins of the world. He was paying for our sins. You know, there was only one mother of Jesus. And no doubt at this time, her heart was filled with such pain. She had great love for the Savior. And then he made sure that, Jesus, that his mother was taken care of in the next verse. And in verse number 27, then saith he to the disciple, behold thy mother. He wanted to make sure that a responsibility was given for someone else now to take care of his mother now that his earthly journey was over. In John chapter number 20, we know that Jesus was talking to Thomas. In John chapter number 20 and verse number 27, Jesus says to Thomas, because Thomas had doubted whether or not Jesus had been risen from the dead, then saith he to Thomas, John 20 and 27, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. Those hands were, were nailed to a cross for me. You know, the Bible says in the book of Revelation that all the way throughout eternity, Jesus will carry these scars in his hands and in his feet. Those speak to me about the love that Jesus had for me. I don't know where you were born. I don't know your pedigree. I don't know where you came from. I want to, know, I want to tell you this. Jesus knows everything about you. He knows everything about who you were and where you were when he began to deal with your soul about the issues of salvation. And I hope along with me as you come to church today, you could say thank you, Lord, for dying for me on Calvary's tree. Can you think about that for a moment? Jesus was existent in eternity past, if you will. He was there at the beginning of time when mankind was created. He was in heaven being worshipped by angels. And he chose to come to this world and die that kind of death because he loved you. And because he loved me. Jesus said, behold my hands. Behold my side. I hope today that Jesus has proven his love for you. I remember when that love began to set in on my heart. As me, as a, a sinner apart from God, I knew that I had sinned. I knew that I wasn't saved. I had been preached to throughout my life. I knew the difference between being lost and saved. I'd sang Amazing Grace throughout my life. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I knew that I was sitting in a lost condition. And as the pastor preached about Jesus going to Calvary's cross for me, I started thinking of a man who was innocent of all crimes, who said these words to me with the blood that came from that crown. I love you. And I didn't find very much to be lovable about myself. I was a sinner and apart from God. But you know what Jesus spoke to me? He spoke peace to my heart. He said, come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he spoke to me through his word, and he said, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. And that day when I came and knelt before the Lord, I was born again by the grace of God, and he forgave me of every sin I've ever committed. And he assured me by giving me his spirit in my heart that I was a saved child of God. And now I know that when I die, I have a home in heaven. You say, Pastor, you, you, if you died today, are you telling me that you have complete assurance that 
you're on your way to heaven, that you know where you're going to be? Absolutely. I know exactly where I'm going to be when I die. You know why? It's not my righteousness. I'm not going to say, hey, you know what? You want to look at my church record? I've been to church every week basically all my life. I was born and raised in church. I I probably missed, I'm not even exaggerating, probably maybe 10 Sundays in all my life. Have I ever missed going to church for either being sick or being in the military? It wasn't very much. I was in church continually. And I just want to tell you, I'm not going to heaven because I attend church. And when I, when, I, when I was 19 years old and getting to the age where I was starting to think about how I was going to be living my life, I committed to the Lord that I was going to give the first tenth of all my increase to the Lord. Everything that God gave to me, I was going to take the first tenth and I was going to give Him an offering. And by the grace of God, me and my wife have given the first tenth of our increase to the Lord because He's worthy of it. But if you ask me why I'm going to heaven, I'm not going to heaven because I tithe. I'm not paying my way into heaven. And I could point out that day that I got baptized. I was baptized several times because I was fighting through issues of salvation. I got baptized five times before I got saved. (laughs) You say, man, what was wrong with you? I like the water. (laughs) And I like the pastor. When I got baptized that last time after being saved, you're supposed to get baptized after you get saved. When I got baptized after I got saved, I'm not going to tell you, hey, I'm going to heaven because I got baptized. I'm going to heaven because of Christ and His righteousness, and it was imputed to me. When I believed on Jesus Christ, I got all His righteousness. And when I stand before God, there's nothing good in me that He would say, come on into my heaven. But there's everything good in Jesus because I got His righteousness when I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you there's no good works that you can do to save yourself. And I want to tell you this too, that God doesn't want you sitting around doubting whether or not you're saved. He wants to give you assurance. And I'm here to tell you on the authority of God's Word, just as He's given this preacher assurance that He's saved, He can give you that same assurance that you're saved too. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. You say, how do you get this assurance? By faith. By believing. And you say, how does that faith come to you? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You've heard the Word of God preached today. You say, Pastor, I'm not saved. How can I get saved? You've heard the Word of God. If God began to work in your heart, and you began to feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart, saying, hey, what this man is preaching about, it is true. That's not because I'm a good orator, for I am not. It's because God's still working in the hearts of men to save people. And I hope today as you've come to church, you've been able to behold your King. Behold Jesus Christ. Behold His hands inside. And even if you're a Christian today and you've forgotten why you serve, why don't you go, go back and look at the King's apparel. Look at that robe they had on him. You know, it was a purple robe, but there were stains of blood on his back. You know why he did that? He did that for you. There's no amount of service that we can give the Lord to ever repay Him. And every bit of service that we give to the Lord, it's a privilege to do that. We ought to do it happily. Look what He did for us. He gave it all for us. We should give it all to Him. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed as we prepare for a verse of invitation. Maybe God's spoken to you this morning. Maybe He's spoken to you about several things. I mean, I don't know how God's working in your life or in your heart. The pianist is going to come and she'll begin to play and we'll have Brother John sing a song here. 
if the Lord has spoken to you today, we want to encourage you to come. This is an altar call. This is a place where people do business with the Lord. Personally, I got saved in an altar. You don't have to get saved here if you're lost. You can get saved in your seat. You can get saved at home. It's about coming to Christ and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. There could be somebody here today and you've never known Jesus as your Savior. This time is for you, for you to respond. I want to invite you to come. And maybe you're a Christian here today and maybe your eyes have been off the Lord. Maybe today God spoke into your heart and you remembered how much He loved you and why you're doing what you're doing. It's for Him. He's worthy of your worship and praise. If God's spoken to you, as Brother John sings this first verse, I want to invite you to come. God's spoken to you and you're lost. Won't you come? There's no greater thing you could do on a Sunday. I need to be saved. Pastor, I need to pray for my family. Won't you come? You want to pray for a son or a daughter? A wife, a husband? Somebody in a far off land? Maybe you need to use the altar. Won't you come? spoken to you, you need to come.
people said, Amen. It's been good to be in the house of the Lord today. We want to invite you to come back for our evening service, if you can be. We have Sunday evening services at 6 p.m., and we'll be doing that tonight. We've been going through uh, the book of 2 Samuel, and we, we, we've been trying to make some application from those books, and we're in the middle of the rebellion of Absalom, and uh, difficult days in the life of David, for sure. And so we'll be going through a few more chapters tonight. Uh, don't forget to remind yourself of the upcoming events uh, that are written in the bulletin. And uh, we'll be looking forward to uh, what God has for us for the remainder of the day. We're going to call on Brother John Davison to come to the pulpit, and he'll dismiss the service in prayer. It's about for prayer. Dear God, we come to you before, come before you again today and just thankful for your love and goodness to us, Lord. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for the message given today, Lord. I, I pray that you'll help us to apply to our lives. Help us always to, to look to you and to remember what you've done for us on the cross, sending your son to die for us. Lord, I pray that you'll uh, bless us this afternoon. Help us to come back safely to the evening service of what you would have us to do with our lives in service to you. Lord, we ask you these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.